1: Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word becher, meaning digger. Today cricket matches everywhere welcome along to a slightly Australian feel today because we've got Bradley Hogg on the show former Australia left arm spinner he played seven test matches 123 one day internationals for his country 15 T20 internationals but he's known around the globe as well he's a commentator these days played English domestic cricket he's played in the Caribbean Premier League the Indian Premier League obviously the big bash for both the Perth Scorchers and the Melbourne Renegades, and this slow left arm Chinaman bowler is always a good chat on cricket, and this one goes. Every single which way, there's a little bit of serious, there's a little bit of fun and frivolity. There's a little bit of emotion as we go through it as well, because this is, quite literally, Naked Hoggy from his home in Australia. On a slightly dodgy WhatsApp line at times, there's a little bit of swimming in the background, but you bear with that because the content is great. And Brad Hogg is an absolutely superb guest on this edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast. Evergreen, enthusiastic, always got an opinion on the game. And I hesitate to say the word former when I talk about his career, because... As we'll find out, he's not quite done yet, potentially. Thanks to tvsportsblog.com for their support of the Cricket Badger podcast. Give them a follow on Twitter as well, at tvsportsblog. So, put another shrimp on the barbie. It's going to be a bonza day. I'm going to get on multilingual because we are number one in Brazil. We are number one in South Africa. We are riding the charts high across the globe because the Cricket Badger podcast, the lockdown strategy of trying to get... The global domination for the podcast is starting to pay dividends. We're getting listeners from all over the place. We're getting new listeners all the time. So if you're one of our current listeners that have been here for a long time, this is the 137th show. Thank you for staying loyal and thank you for listening. And I hope that you're enjoying it. And if you're new to it as well, welcome. And we've got some terrific guests as well planned for the next few weeks. So stay with the Cricket Badger podcast. If you can like it, subscribe to it, and also leave a nice comment. That would be fantastic too. But enough of me begging for your trade. Let's get into the show today because we have a superb guest, as I've said, the former Australian international cricketer, Mr. Bradley Hogg.
0: It's that badger style.
1: Bradley Hogg, Brad Hogg, Hoggy, how are you?
0: I'm good, thanks, James. Uh, I'm very glad that we're living. WA Australia, that's Western Australia, rather than anywhere else in the world because I think we're probably the luckiest people at the moment. And uh, wood, everyone else around the world, especially uh, everyone in England, Wales and Scotland and Ireland, things turn around very quickly there and we get some peace from uh, everything that's happening now.
1: Yeah, cricket's in a a bit of a mess, isn't it, at the moment? World cricket's obviously halted. English cricket, the county season, isn't being played at the moment. They're talking about maybe playing a couple of test matches behind closed doors, but it's it's a worry-hoggy, isn't it?
0: It's a huge worry, especially in England because uh, this is their summer, they're going to bring out the 100. I'm still a bit skeptical about the 100, but you know you can go on both sides, but it's good to see the ECB being proactive and innovative, trying to get on their own feet rather than relying on other nations such as India to provide the finances. So they're trying to provide a product which is going to keep them uh, financially viable in the future and they invested so much in it. So I'm I'm disappointed that it hasn't gone right for them.
1: I've been Quite vocal against the hundred, Hoggie. I'm, in, I'm interested to know why you are sceptical about it.
0: I look! I just think we've got three formats of the game going around the world now, and we're, we're introducing new. Teams to the test arena, and uh, we're not giving them a huge chance. So uh, at at the moment, uh, even though we're in lockdown, I think this is a great time for ICC and cricket boards to sit down and go, right? What is the best way forward for cricket? Uh, It's not working now. We're we're doing more of what we've done in the past, and it's not improving the game. And uh, I did a piece. Uh, on my YouTube channel uh, and I wrote the the outline for a, a change of the calendar where all teams play the same amount of test matches and one day as NT20 internationals through the whole year rather than having this system of five test matches, four test matches, three test matches, two test matches, the different point system in the test championship. It's just ludicrous. Look, I want to keep the five test matches. Uh, series of the Ashes, but for the betterment of cricket, we're moving forward. We're in a new age and we've got got different formats of cricket. We've got the IPL that we've got to put in, other T20 cricket uh, that we've got to put in. The the, the calendar's all over the shop. We don't know who's playing who, when. Uh, It can be interchangeable. There's no definitive uh, part of the calendar. So it just frustrates me. So I just think all Test Playing Nations play three Test Match series throughout the year. And there's four te- uh, four series uh, that you've got to play. Uh, and we split the Test Match Championship into two divisions. And uh, we also do the same with the one day and in T20 International Cricket where we have tournaments of 10, but they've got to be tri-series. So each team plays at least six games in a series. So that's 24 games a year in each format as well to prepare for World Cups. And we have a three-year turnaround rather than a four-year turnaround. Um, but sorry, James, but my... Um, Uh, It's more detailed in a written document that I've uh, put on the web as well.
1: I've looked at it, mate, and I'm not against it at all. And I think, you know, as you hinted at before, with no cricket being played at the moment, all the boards are going to have to obviously be reviewing their situations because of the financial side of it. But it is a really, really good opportunity for anybody in the world at the moment, isn't it? Just to take a step back and, and think what they really need to get out of the sport.
0: Yeah, exactly right. And the only reason why I wrote that document wasn't to say, right, this is the way you've got to do it. It's just to go, hang on, I'm thinking a little bit outside the box there's got to be a better way of doing things the way that we're doing, and we've got to get all the uh, the minds around cricket and stop being uh, stop being greedy in our own uh, our own backyards and just say, right, do we want this a global game or do we want to contract it a bit and uh, go back to where it was ten years ago if that's the way that it's going to be most financially viable. So they've got to make those tough decisions, but for me. I just think we've got to give uh, opportunities to associate nations to be able to win a a Test Match Championship in a six-year period Um, because if they're doing all the right things to develop their grassroots cricket and they're growing the game,
1: they should be rewarded. We could talk about this for about four hours, couldn't we? But I I really like the the motives behind the World Test Championship because it's adding a little bit of of a reason to play those games but the point system seems to be a little bit arbitrary at times does not it depending on how long the series is that a test match win can count for different points and i also thought the world cup as well it being contracted like it had been i always look at look back at other world cups and you see the likes of the netherlands kenya whoever coming in as affiliate nations and it's good to see them play isn't it and they, they only learn from playing against the best Oh, exactly right. And
0: look, you just brought up a good point there. You know, the the Test Match Championship, the point system, England played Australia in a National Series. Uh, both teams, I think, got 56 points. New Zealand played uh, Sri Lanka, and both teams got 60 points. But okay. if you look at the table, uh, Team 1 has got a worse percentage than Team 2, and I think England are 4, New Zealand are 3, and England have got a better percentage than New Zealand. It's just all over the shop. England have played uh, or got five wins. New Zealand have got three wins in 17. It it's, it's ludicrous. So I just think we've got to find a way where... Every game that is played, whether it's one day, T20, uh, a test match, has got something riding on it. Otherwise, we're just playing games that don't mean anything, and it's – and, and the public know it and they can see it and they don't get energised by it probably didn't answer your question
1: then <laughs> I, I totally agree with you I'm sure we'll get back into more stuff like that as we go through because you're answering the cricket badger 20 questions today you've seen them already
0: I just had a quick look because I like to say what comes to my mind first rather than having something prepared because uh, it's, it, I surprise myself sometimes <laughs> what comes out <laughs> of my mouth
1: <laughs> well, well we'll find out what, they, what that's going to be won't we question number one Yeah. if not a cricketer what would you have done with your life where would life have taken you
0: uh, I probably would have uh, been on the sheep and wheat farm uh, here in Western Australia. Is that the family business? Yeah, oh, that's a family business, yes. Uh, Mum and Dad had it, but we've been farmers. Uh, I think I would have been the fourth generation farmer. Well, I did it for a couple of years, so I am a fourth generation farmer, if
1: you put it that way. <laughs> Who has been the biggest influence on your cricket career? Look, this
0: is a very hard question because there's so many. Uh, Colin McNamara, Peter Carlstein, John Tricos, and I think the biggest moment in my career was Justin Langer. i toured with Australia uh, in 96. Two years later, I was in the change rooms at WA. I'd just been dropped from the state team and I was carrying on like a pork chop. He pinned me up against the uh, locker in the change rooms and said, mate, you've got to pull your head in. Otherwise, you're going to lose your cricketing career very quickly. Go
1: home and look at yourself in the mirror. So probably uh, that was probably the, the, the biggest moment of my career. That sounds like a real wake-up call, that. Did that have an instant impact on you? Did you go home and look at yourself in the mirror straight away?
0: Yeah, I did. During that period, I've written it in my book as well. Tom Moody's written in that story as well, and uh, I I wasn't really having a a connectedness with Tom Moody. I was blaming him for certain things, and uh, when I went home and and looked at myself in the mirror, I uh, started to get some home truths, went for a run that night, and I sat on a park bench sort of in tears, just realising what I'd done and uh, throwing the opportunity away. And uh, I had to work hard and it took 18 months to get back in that state team and another seven years to get back for Australia. So basically, I'd lost my core values of being a team man and I became selfish. Luckily, I, I had the opportunity to... Revisit that And uh, get back On the right path For me
1: Your autobiography You just mentioned that, It's called The Wrongin And it's quite a, An honest appraisal Of you as a cricketer And as a person Isn't it really And I guess If you're going to do it You might as well Do it properly
0: Yeah but, well My club teammates Were saying You should write a book We had a guy down there Craig Sylvie His brother Wrote a book Called Jasper Jones Which has been Put in a movie uh, It was a bestseller And he wanted to write it But he couldn't do it So uh, Because The movie was uh, going to be filmed that year and he had to do a few changes to the script. So Greg Rowden wrote it and uh, I just sat there and said, what am I going to write about? You know, I just said, go through your whole uh, y- your life. I said, right, if I'm doing it, I've got to be honest. So I went down to Williams. So everyone that was involved in my cricketing career, uh, seeing me growing up, was involved in it. Uh, my club teammates here in WA were involved in it. Some input from uh, England clubs and they said, what do you, what, what do you want us to say? And I just said, um, basically, if I was a prat, I want you to say it because I want want an honest appraisal of myself uh, because it's about a journey. And uh, you know, sometimes when you're going on a journey of uh, trying to play cricket for Australia, trying to get the ultimate, uh, you're going to have your ups and downs and sometimes your personality is going to be tested and uh, the best of you is not going to be always shining out in the public. That's where it became a very uh, honest appraisal and, look, It was great because um, some of the stuff that happened through my career, you you know, it, it was very therapeutic in a sense. And I guess one of my teammates summed it up. He said, Greg, let's just put a cover on the book. And then the first page, Hoggy doesn't mean to be a dickhead. And then the second page, He just is. So (laughs) (laughs) that that could have summed up the whole book. Well, he said something slightly different there, but uh, I couldn't put the whole words in there. But uh, (laughs) you got the gist of it there. I got the gist of it, yeah.
1: I've written a a few books. When you get to the end of it, you're never totally happy with it. But when you look back at yours, you you were were happy with the the end product?
0: Yeah, I I was happy with the end product. The funny thing was um, because you you said that I was honest uh, in there, which I, I... I totally was I'd, I'd written something about Tom Moody in there um, but if you, if you read through the paragraph you know I, I set it up where everyone's going oh he hates Tom Moody oh god oh god and then at the end of the chapter uh, you know i i'd put where I went wrong in the whole relationship and how I caused it because I was a young punk coming through and you know I was I was like a young ball, ball whose balls had just dropped and just trying to take on the big gun which <laughs> was never going to be a winning situation for me and there was something else that I wrote about Maddie Hayden uh, an incident in uh, one of the one of the tours that we had where once the book was written or before the book was written, uh, published, I rang up Maddie and uh, said it, uh, said what was uh, what was in the book. Anyway, just before I'd rang him up, I'd watched the uh, movie Meet the Fuckers, right? Yeah, and you yeah. know how it's got that circle of trust in there? Yes. So anyway, Maddie had, and Mat- Matty in this particular instance, said, Oggy, you're not in the circle, circle of trust. And we had all these butchers, uh, this butcher paper um, stuff on a board. So he drew the circle and put the circle of trust and then turned page after page after page with a line and he said, you're way here. And I didn't take it too kindly. And 10 years later, I watched the movies and then I just realized I didn't get the punt. And it was just me, Matty, and I think it was Damien Martin and the uh, physio in the room uh, of that particular incident. But 10 years later, it had affected me all through, my, all through my career in a sense you know, I was just a bit awkward with uh, with Maddie in that regard because of that one moment. But it was just a a um a humorous take off the uh off the meet the fuckers. So and then you then you just go through it and uh, as I said, it was very th- therapeutic. Probably the last chapter. If I could uh, get the book now,
1: I've probably got uh, one more chapter that I'd want to put in there. Let's get let's get on to the next question. Sorry about that. I was rambling, not I. That's oh. fine. That's what that's what you're on for. We we want your rambling. What's been <laughs> the, What's been the best moment of your cricket? life if i could take you back to any any day in your career which one would you want to relive again and experience the joys of it
0: it's a very difficult one the first final we won with Perth scorches here in the t20 tournament is extremely special because we created an environment that you just wanted in your sporting team just a great culture uh, i've never I've ne- it was just utopia it was just awesome but Probably the biggest moment for me was the 2003 World Cup bowling for Andy Flower, flying over to Harare from South Africa because we're playing Zimbabwe in uh, Bulawayo. Yes, not Harare. Harare is the capital, isn't it? Uh, right. Bulawaya. Yeah, and uh, Darren Lehman, myself and Ian Harvey were doing the preparation for the team meeting. So we're going through all the batsmen their strengths and weaknesses and we we're talking about Andy Flower and uh after about 40 minutes of talking about Andy Flower I said guys just give me the ball I'll get him out with the flipper and Darren Lehman being the senior just remember a bunny just got back in the Australian team here but Darren Lehman's gone Hoggy that's enough from you no more input for the rest of this uh this meeting please <laughs> righty no drama so that's the last bit of input so we're playing and Andy Flower and Grant Flower are out the crease. Ricky Pointing's brought me on. First over, I think four off the uh, over, but Grant and Andy are just sweeping me and uh, not really being aggressive to me. And uh, started the second over, I thought, right, okay, I've got to bowl the clip of the Andy Flower here. Yeah? Then at the top of my mark, it's the first ball of the over. At the top of the mark, I go John, just keeps, this is John Buchanan, just keeps saying, Hoggy, first ball of every over. Just bowl your stock delivery, nothing else. Don't experiment with your first ball. Got to get the over off to a good start. And then I go, right, on the farm, I'll never listen to the old man. I just go and do what I think's best. And uh, so there's no point in listening to John. So I'm going for the flipper. Bang. Off stump, Fails off, i bowl him. And you see me celebrating, and you see me yelling out some expletives. and you think I'm giving Annie any flower a send-off, but I'm not. I'm just yelling out... Now, you bastards will listen to me, won't you? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's probably the moment, uh, that's probably the moment, you know, I, I look back on it. It's probably the most memorable because it, it includes a bit of banter in the, in, uh, amongst the teammates as well.
1: And that's important, isn't it? It's not, you know, they, I speak to yeah. a lot of cricketers and they say. Sometimes the, the moments on the pitch disappear into your memory, but it's the it's the moments with your teammates and the moments celebrating, like you've just done, and or in the dressing room that re, that you really remember when, when you're kind of a certain age. But if,
0: if I look back, the thing that I miss most is the team song. In the change rooms, at the end of a tournament, or here in Perth, at the end of a game, just that closeness that you get—you've all strived to have a little bit of success, and then you finally get it, and uh, you get to sing that silence. Uh, that, that's probably the most uh, moving moment that you can get as a, a, as a cricketer, for Australia.
1: And, and you mentioned the, the success with Perth Scorchers there. Justin Langer was your coach there, so it almost goes full circle to that moment where he's telling you to you know, book your ideas up, and then you're celebrating all those years later, winning the, the Big Bash.
0: Yeah, don't. Worry about that. The, uh, I think we uh, the first first year he got on board. It was the second year of the scorches, I think, or maybe the third year. Can't remember. Second year. And uh, we'd lost the first two home games. Then we were on a uh, on a bit of a trip over east before Christmas, and we won both away games. We were in Queensland just before coming over uh, for Christmas. The boys had gone out to celebrate. and I'm out with the teammates, and anyway, we we're getting invited to a few parties. And they turned to me and said, "Hoggy, what do you reckon?" I'm the oldest in the uh, in the group. I don't, I'm not playing Shield or One Days. This is your environment. This is your culture. Whatever you do, I'll follow I'm not leading you. You're leading me because you're taking the reins of WA cricket moving forward. So they're up in arms whether they go or not. And they didn't go. One of Justin's pillows when he first came on, never to be drunk in, in public. So we've got back. And I uh, wake up in the morning, get on the bus. We're all on the bus. Then Justin and his fitness consultant uh, of the team comes on the bus and they're both small uh, or relatively small people. And I uh, will get on and I start carrying on. JL, you'd be happy with the boys last night. They showed maturity. They're, you know, they've really bought into your, your ways. Uh, they all came home. They're, you know, they're all sober and all this. So obviously, a few other words. And he looked at me and then I grabbed the mic because I was at the front of the bus always there. And then I proceeded to do a joke that involved Justin and the the fitness consultant. And uh, I won't go through the joke because some people might not like it. Anyway, after I've finished the joke, he's just got up. that's enough from you, and virtually gave me the spray that he gave me in the uh, chamber <laughs> many moons ago, so I haven't learned. But the next day, uh, we're right back in Perth, we have to go to the beach the next day here in Perth to have a bit of a, a warm down. So on the beach here, and uh, Simon Cadditch, Herschel Gibbs, and Collingwood, I think, were on board, and myself. Because we're uh, of a certain age, we're asked to go for a jog down to a bell and back, which is about a 4K jog. So it should take us half an hour. So we go down there and uh, just doing what he's asked of us. And then we get back over and all these cones are over the beach. And the Scorcher squad and the rest of the WA squad are there that aren't in the Scorcher squad. We're doing these running exercises. I'll get back. I said, JL, can I uh, join you? And he goes, no, you sit there. And then he brought everyone in and he's just gone, you guys are doing this running because of this bastard here showing no respect. And I going, well, should I say something here? Because if I've done the wrong thing, I should be doing it with the team, mate. But I've decided to keep my mouth shut. But I've got to say, that stance just made everyone think, right, well, if he's going to do that with one of his best mates, we better pull in the line as well. It was probably a good moment for him because it just made a little bit, made all the players on edge. But, you know, again, he pulled me into line and a bit like a father figure, even though he's only three months older than I mean, me when we went to school together.
1: Cricket Badger podcast is brought to you in association with tvsportsblog.com. Give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. Excellent sporting content. It's well worth a look and give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. We had a few days together in Abu Dhabi doing the Emirates T20. I remember when when we first met and I was talking to you, um, I think you'd have probably been around about 47 at the time. I said, have you actually retired now? And you looked at me sideways and you said, nah, mate, I've just been, uh, I've just come back from Bangladesh. I've been playing in the T20 there. Have you actually now officially retired, Hoggy? Are you still available for uh, franchises around the world?
0: No, can we hurry up and finish this uh, interview? Because I'm waiting for a phone call. You know, I'm always on edge with the phone, waiting for someone to ring me to play. I'll never announce a retirement, mate. (laughs) <laughs> never know what's around the corner. I was actually meant to play for Croatia A eh, this year, so yeah, just to help them over there.
1: What I liked about you when I met you, and I never met you before Abu Dhabi, was just your kind of—you always had a smile on your face, and you were just enthusiastic. And I think that takes you a long way with people if you if you got that kind of attitude. And if you if you take that into a dressing room, regardless of how old you are, you're going to fit in, aren't
0: you? Yeah, well, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Uh, well yeah you should um you should talk to my wife about that (laughs) um (laughs) she she wakes up in the morning and i'm buzzing 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 and she goes brad just go and do something okay i need time to adjust to the new day okay get out of my face so yeah i i never learn my lesson i'm always uh i'm always up and about
1: We've done your best moment in cricket. What was your worst moment in cricket? What day would you not want to take me back to? The worst moment
0: in cricket. This is this is one of the hardest. Probably retiring in uh, 2008 because I was definitely going to go to England for the Ashes series as the spinner and uh, I basically uh, retired to try and save a marriage. So uh, that's probably the worst moment of my career. Other than that, Uh, everything else I did, I I did on my own accord, whether it was good or bad. So I was kind of in control of this, but I wasn't in control of it with what was happening behind. Uh, It's written in the book, but I don't really want to bore everyone on the podcast with
1: it you can bore us a little bit if you want to the the, um as i say honest honest appraisal of your your life in in the book and you had some pretty dark times after that you you talk about driving was it to Fremantle um four times and actually seriously considering swimming out there and if you didn't get back it didn't really matter you you were kind of close to the edge
0: yeah well yeah well going back to where i was writing about moody and um hados earlier. I was going to bring the point up Then, actually. I'm glad you did. Uh, yeah, I, w- I went through that phase. It was a tough phase because basically I gave cricket uh, the dream of playing the Ashes. you know, that, w- that would have been the icing on the cake for me uh, because that's what you strive to do. You-, you just want to be part of that Ashes tour to England and it was there. It was in my grasp and I, I didn't get there and uh, the thing that I gave it up for was my family and then all of a sudden Yeah, just uh, it wasn't happening and uh, we separated and uh, you know, all I could see was just everything that I'd worked for just uh, taken away from me and I was thinking uh, I was in a negative phase there and I was going out uh, quite regularly and when I was out, everyone thought I was uh, pretty happy and uh, it was one night I'd come home from Perth, I was in the cab, my brother was in the back with his girlfriend, we're going back to my parents' house where my car was. Talking to the Indian cabbie, uh, cab driver that we had, and we're talking about cricket, and then we got in a bit of a uh, little bit of an argument. Uh, I think it was about uh, well, obviously to do something with uh, Indian cricket and Australian cricket. Uh, I got out of the cab. My brother uh, calmed it down, uh, and I will point out that I did, I rang the cab company the next day to try and apologise uh, to the cab driver, but they uh, they couldn't get a hold of him, so they passed on the uh, my message. But I still would prefer to uh, apologize to him face to face, but uh, that happened. Went inside, had an argument with mum and dad, got in my car, drove home, which is about 10 minutes from where they live. And I shouldn't have been driving, by the way. I don't want to advertise it, but I got home and I went into the bathroom. I was absolutely fuming with myself. Then I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, you've got to change your ways. And I walked back out of the bathroom. Knock on the door as my dad. I said, dad, I'm okay. I'll come and see you tomorrow. Apologize to mum, please. And then I walked into my office and wrote on the board where I wanted my life to go uh, from now. And it was amazing. Within a week later, uh, within a week, I was getting phone, uh, phone calls for job uh, job offers. So just that change of mindset just changed my life. And then I met my wife now, um, who is really my backbone, and encouraged me to get back into cricket. And that, that was just to go back and play great, great cricket. There was nothing there to uh, go back and play for Australia or the Perth Scorchers or anything like that. It was just to go out and uh, get back into something that I loved, to, just to... Uh, keep my mind fresh, and you know it's uh, it's so funny uh, because I do a lot for lifeline now. I look back at that time and i was, you, know, you know it's a sad time but i go I go and talk to people now in public the first time I, I talked it was I felt embarrassed like the whole crowd just stopped when I went through that story, and then afterwards everyone just came up to me with their own story, so i'm glad that it can help other people now and just my motto now is if you going through a um tough patch you can't talk to anyone uh, we've got lifeline here where you can ring up and they've got people that talk to you and uh just help you get through a day to make tomorrow uh, a better day so that's my motto now going forward so anyone there that is listening here and there's a lot of cricketers that are committed suicide uh, over in England as well that um we don't want to see that continuing, and with what's going on now, it's even more prevalent. So, speak to someone, please, because you know everyone's going through a tough time, and we've got to help each other out.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've said on my uh, podcast in the past. You know, I've suffered from anxiety and depression in the past, and it, it really is talking about it that gets you out of it. But if you're if you're really in that black mist and it's and it's feeling terrible, talking to somebody isn't the easiest thing, is it? It's uh, it's something that you've got to really kind of force yourself to do almost. And You may be not in the best position to do that when you're in the in the thick of it.
0: Yeah, oh, exactly right. Now, yeah, anyone anyone that's listening, just uh, you, you know, don't, just sit back and think. Right. When you fear something, when things aren't going right, and you're in that negative mindset. You don't think clearly. You can't think clearly. You've got to try and distract yourself, go and do something fun and then come back to the thing that you want to achieve because then you'll have a, a clearer mind. And once I worked out that, that, you know, when you fear and get negative, you've got to take your mind away from it. And look, I'm a saint. I still get in those moments where I'm fearing or I'm a little bit nervous at something and I can't get out of that negative mindset. And sometimes I sit there and drool on it for an hour, hour and a half, and you know, uh, then I find something to kick me into gear to uh, get back on track, take my mind away from it. So yeah, we, we all go through it and don't think you're the only one that goes through it and just try and find a mechanism that helps you get over it because at the end of the day, uh, it's you who owns your emotions, not anyone else.
1: I live on my own, one bedroom flat, I haven't got a garden, so in lockdown over the last seven weeks, the only person I've actually seen to speak to face-to-face has been the local shopkeeper, and I'm, I'm actually convinced that the reason I've been able to cope with it quite well, I'm quite happy with my own company, but because I've had anxiety and depression in the past, and I kind of know how to cope with that and the signs that that brings, I think that's actually helped me in this situation, it's its a bit bizarre really. Well, it's... It, it's, it's
0: extremely bizarre. I was over in India and uh, then Australia started talking about having a lockdown and we, the tournament that I was involved in over there uh, stopped. So we we're trying to get flights home and I came home and uh, my wife had organised a house uh, down on the beach for me uh, down south because I had to self-isolate for two weeks and I ended up being down there for three weeks uh, because she was worried that I was asymptomatic. Um, and also didn't want to be around mum and dad who were 70-odd uh, just with all the all the information that we we're getting. So I was down there, if I didn't have the beach where I could look out with the sun coming in with my personality, I, I just think, you know, I, I would have found it a little tougher as well because i on that energetic bloke. I've got to be outside. I've got to be outdoors. And uh, lucky it had a balcony where I could be outdoors. It had a bit of a backyard I could go. And the beach wasn't populated as well where the weather would come in. And now I'd be down the beach, so I was allowed to go down and have a bit of a jog up and down the beach. So I was very lucky in that regard. But yeah, it's bloody tough. So yeah, this is this is the time that you need your mates.
1: Absolutely. I've spent more time on the telephone and more time doing podcasts over the last seven weeks than ever in my life. It's been, uh, that's been my therapy. Getting back to the cricket, Hoggie, Um, Seven test matches, 123 ODIs, 15 T20 internationals, obviously franchise cricket around the world. I-, I could list all your teams that that would take as a podcast to get through them, but kind of looking at your career, if you'd been in an era where Shane Warne didn't exist, you'd have played a lot more test matches, wouldn't you?
0: Yeah, well, you can always say that, but to be honest with you, I wouldn't want to be in a different era. Shield cricket here in in Australia was probably the toughest competition going around in the world at that stage. Getting into the Australian team was, uh, was probably the hardest team to get into. Once you got in, it was hard to get kicked out of. I don't want to change anything in that regard. The only thing that I would want to change is not retiring in 2008 and going for the Ashes series. So I wouldn't change a thing. You had Stuart McGill there too at test level. And through that whole time, I had to look at it and go, right, I'm not going to play test cricket because of Stuart McGill being the backup out at the moment unless he gets injured. So just concentrate on, uh, on the short form of the game. And with my personality back there where I was a little bit impatient the, the shorter form of the game was probably a lot better for me than uh, the longer form of the game. And going back to Tom Moody, he'd be sitting at first slip while I'm coming on the bowl in a shield game. So that's the four-day game. And he'd be going, you beauty, at the end of the over. He's finally bowled six leg spinners. He hasn't gone through his old repertoire this over. Brilliant, brilliant. So I'd do three overs. You could just see him getting more nervous out first slip. That this uh, this over is going to just come out, or all the tricks I've got in my bag, and yeah, very rarely did you know, I I last more than uh, uh, seven balls with seven leg spinners in a row before I bowled something different. So <laughs> he, he had his headaches in first slip, but I, I wouldn't change anything.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much, everybody, for listening to the Cricket Badger podcast. The listeners are going up every single week through COVID-19. Hopefully, we're giving you a little bit of entertainment to take you away from the troubles in the world. Thank you very much for listening. Loads of great guests planned for the next few weeks as well. So stay tuned to Cricket Badger podcast. Like, subscribe. Thank you so much for your support of the Cricket Badger podcast. Looking at your, your action and your your style of bowling, left arm, you seem to be somebody that just didn't want to be an ordinary slow left arm.er You're the China man, so effectively you're the the leg break bowler, but left arm. Was that something that you consciously mm-hmm. wanted to do because it gave you a little bit more variety and something more to think about?
0: I never wanted. To be, I, I didn't start bowling until uh, my second year of uh, first class cricket. So I was twenty three, I think, when I first started bowling. And it was Tony Mann who asked me to bowl them in the nets. I think I hit Jeff Marsh in the uh, temple. Uh, so, you know how we had those templates in the helmet and Tony Mann uh, bowling my medium paces. So, I started as a batsman, uh, first class career. Then he asked me to uh, bowl some leggies. I said, Why do you want me to bowl leggies? Uh, well, you're not doing the, uh, the captain, in favor the boy bowling bounces. Uh, and plus, New South Wales have got a left arm league spinner in Freddie Freeman. I said, "Oh, that's good to know." Before I go out and bat tomorrow, I didn't even know the bowling attack that they had going in, so I learned something. So I asked him to bowl the leggies, and then Damien Martin's in there, and he said, bowl a couple of wrongers." I said, "How do you bowl Romans? So he flicked a couple to me, and I landed two wrongins And he said, "You better stick with that for the rest of. Uh, you better stick with that because uh, two strings to your bows better than one, and you probably won't make it as a batsman." And uh, I'm glad I took that advice. So after that, I just worked so hard on my uh, my left arm. Um, uh, leg spin bowling because that was the only thing that was going to get me to play for Australia.
1: Who was your cricket hero when you were a young kid? My dad. He was the Bradman of the
0: bush uh, where I grew up. My two uncles, Uncle Kennedy, Uncle Peter, Jeff Marsh. He's from Wandering, which is about half an hour from where I live. And uh, he, was, he grew up in the same association. And then Derek Randall from England. That's a good choice. He was. I a- love Derek
1: he was fidgety and quirky, but a really good batsman as well.
0: Yeah, well, you mentioned something earlier. You know, you're a little bit different. Well, I don't want to be the same as anyone else. I want to be who I am, and uh, that's what I like about Derek Randall. I just I just loved him, and I still can remember when Dennis Lee bowled him a bouncer at the MCG and he just tipped his cap as the ball went past his, uh, past his hat. He just tipped his cap back to Dennis and bowed, and then just got on with business. So you can't really argue with that, can you?
1: (laughs) No, he was brilliant. He was one of my heroes as well when I was a kid. I've been trying to get him on this podcast, actually. So if anybody listening knows where Derek Randall is and can put me in touch with Derek Randall, I would love to get him on this podcast and have a chat to him. He'd be a great guest. If you get his number, can you give me his number as well? I'd love to chat to him. Oh, well, I'll tell you what, I'll get you back on the podcast. We can, we can both interview him together.
0: Oh, definitely, definitely. One, one of my favourite sports people is uh, Scotty Pippen from the Chicago Bulls, actually. I've
1: mm-hmm. just been watching that documentary. I'm not a basketball fan, but I've been watching that documentary on Netflix, and it's fascinating.
0: Yeah, no, I, I just love Scotty Pippen. He was always the second uh, under uh, Michael Jordan, and I always loved the underdog.
1: If you could trade lives, Brad Hogg, with any current cricketer for a day, who would you like to live in the skin of, have their skills and be them for 24 hours?
0: To be honest with you, I wouldn't want to.
1: Uh, oh, all right, if you're going to go down that path, who would I want to be? You, you don't have to. You can, you, can, you can refuse the invitation.
0: No, I'm not going to refuse the invitation. No, no, no. If, if I'm going through my, the people that I play with and against, it would be uh, Ian Bell or Jonathan Trott. Okay, that's an inter- that's interesting. When I played for Warwickshire, uh, those two were just coming on the scenes and uh, yeah, I just loved the way that those two went about it. I, I really appreciated their uh, careers.
1: I want to put you in charge. You've already done a little bit of this okay. actually, but I'm going to put you in charge of world cricket for a day. Your first decision as Cricket Supremo, what would you change about cricket?
0: I'd get all the, uh, all the boards around the world into a boardroom and say, you're not getting out of it, uh, this. This room until we all sort out an even uh, even flow of money around the world to uh, make sure we have even cricket uh, being played or better cricket played globally with all the countries. And I'd be getting all the curators oh, in in that particular instance as well. I'd be saying all cricket. Grounds that we've got now have to have their own characteristics of wickets. Uh, So if there's a wicket that's renowned for big turners, there's wicket now renowned for pace and bounce, that's the way it's got to be produced when we play a test match or a one Day. I'm sick and tired of every wicket around the world being the same. I don't think it's good for the game. You've got my vote. I like that. (laughs) And I would also go to Duke Balls as well for test cricket, even though I don't like bowling with them as a spinner.
1: If you were starting your career again, if you could write to yourself, send yourself an email or a text message as a 14 year old, say, and give yourself some advice, what would that advice be?
0: Well, my teammates at my club, club land always say, Hoggy, you bat us into a winning position, then you bowl us out of it. So if you look at my stats at grade level, I'd, I'd make 150 uh, with the bat, then I'd go out and bowl, and I'll probably get one for one hundred and fifty-five. So <laughs> I, never, I never complimented. It. So if i if I look back at my uh cricket i'd go I'd spend a lot more time in the meditation phase trying to control my emotions when I went out to bat. It was my brain that got in uh in the way rather than uh my ability.
1: The brain's quite a key muscle, isn't it with cricketers? Yeah there's not a lot of difference in skill between the very top cricketers, but the brain plays a big big part
0: If I go tr- back through my career. God, you know when you when you have that utopia moment where your life's just running free and then you've you you're, you're gone on a holiday and then at the end of the holiday, you go, oh, where did that go? What did I do, uh, tops? How did that happen? When I've made runs out in the middle, uh, batting-wise, I get off the ground. I've had so much fun out there, but I can't, I can't remember too many shots that I've actually played. I, I was just in a different world, if you understand what I mean. I, there was nothing in my head whatsoever. I, I was just in uh, the happy place, like the Happy Gilmore uh, movie. It, it, it's just amazing. But most of the time before I went out there, uh, because I had to sit with the pads on for a long time in the chain rooms in first-class cricket and the higher levels, I'd, I'd already gone through the emotional phase of the innings before I got out there. I, my brain was already... So, yeah, I, I, I just control the uh, emotional side. Meditation. And that, that's probably a good thing for everyone that's in lockdown now. You know, do a, do a bit of meditation and try and get yourself in a, a positive mindset and clear, clear your head.
1: If you could have been famous doing something else, Brad Hogg, what would you have liked to have done? Lead guitarist of a rock band or an actor or whatever you want to be?
0: No, I w- it would have been a sportsman. No, no, no different. But in this climate right now, if I could be someone... It would be either um, a lawyer who can take on the globe to get uh, the world back on track, or one of the leading inventors in medicine to find a cure for, or find a way to um, stabilize medicine.
1: If you could meet anyone, living or dead, who would you like to meet? It's that old (laughs) dinner party question. You can have one or you can have more than one.
0: If I was going to uh, have a dinner party, Scotty Pippen would be one. Alexander the Great. Going back there, Napoleon, yeah, uh, probably those those three. That's interesting, isn't it?
1: Napoleon would need something to stand on to talk to Scotty Pippin wouldn't he? <laughs> yep uh, I'd, I'd, I'd like to have Mother Teresa there as well That evening would be quite interesting very interesting Yeah, well, um, yeah. no, just a few
0: few different people I, li- I like a little bit of variety if you ask me to, tomorrow night there will be
1: a, com- a complete <laughs> difference in there as
0: well They're going to make <clears throat> Hoggy the movie
1: who would play you in a movie about your life? Uh, I, I
0: get compared to Tom Cruise a lot so uh, Tom Cruise or what's his name Steve the 40 year old virgin
1: what's the last time you can remember feeling really nervous so yeah I mean on the face of it you don't strike me as a very nervous person but everybody is to to a degree when were you last really nervous
0: Uh, probably All right. the worst nervous time I've ever been was my first shield game had it up Uh, I went to the toilet and I thought I'd finish my business and uh, I'd pissed myself so (laughs) that's going back in 1994 I didn't have time to change myself either (laughs)
1: <laughs> I, I mean, even as a even as a forty odd year old playing franchise cricket and stuff. I mean, you've been there, seen it all, and done it all. Were you still getting the nerves oh, then? No, seriously. I uh,
0: yeah, I got I got nervous a hell of a lot. Well, did the English uh, did the English watch the big bash ten years ago, five years ago, oh, yeah, eight def- years ago? Definitely.
1: Yeah, cricket cricket fans like the big bash. In it, yeah, watching it from England. Yeah, I, do, I don't really
0: well. I really got nervous out the furnace or out the wacker uh, when I came on the bowl. Um, yeah, it's um, kind of emotional because you, you know, you know, what what happened out the furnace for me as an individual, I, I still can't believe it happened. But uh, marking my run up out, all I could think about was don't let them down, don't let them down, don't let them down. Um, Oh, gee, they were the scariest times of my cricket career, but the the the, the loveliest times of my cricket career uh, because we just had a packed house and they were just involved in it and you didn't want to let them down. Oh, it was just, you can't beat that feeling. You can't beat that feeling.
1: Sorry. Yeah. So when you actually have that feeling inside you of trepidation and you don't want to let these guys down, this big crowd, but yeah. then you deliver for them, I guess it's even sweeter, isn't
0: it? Uh. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Yeah, no, no, because cause then you've got to come back for the for the next game. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it was just uh, it, it it was it was nerve wracking, very nerve wracking, but it was it, it was extremely enjoyable. And you know? like like being in my shoes, that's why I wouldn't want to be anyone else. I, I I don't I I don't think. Yeah, I I just I wouldn't want to change what happened. I just yeah, it was just. I can't explain it. It was just, um, it was unbelievable. Uh, I, I I just can't believe it still happened the way it happened. But yeah, it was it was just a great moment, a moving moment. Mm. Sorry,
1: that's that is great. <laughs> I, I want to go. I,
0: yeah, I want to I want to go deeper in it. But you know, I, uh, yeah, I, I can't explain it unless you see me live with it because yeah, it's it's a completely different thing. And if you if you just hear it by voice, it, it's It comes across a bit different, if you know what I mean.
1: What is the top Mm. item on your bucket list, things to do before you die? What would you like to uh, get – what would you like to pack in? What's the number one?
0: number one for me is to go to the place in the world where it's light for 24 hours and then go back to it when it's dark for 24 hours. I just love nature, and I want to experience that because – that's a phenomenon for us.
1: I saw an African person once, and they that seeing snow for the first time. It's just different, isn't it?
0: No, it, it's completely different. And, uh, you know, people uh, people that get exposed to that. So a lot of people in England will be going seriously. What are you? What, what are you thinking about that for? But we don't we don't get that here in Australia. You know, we're we're up at five uh, here in Australia with light. And it's generally light by no later than seven fifty in the evening here in Perth because we don't have daylight saving. So that's about the uh, the lightest that we
1: have for the day are you a morning or a night person definitely morning person on a scale of one to ten ten's the fonz, the coolest person in the world how cool would you say you are
0: uh in my own backyard ten when i'm out in public probably one (laughs) (laughs) you don't want to know what i do in my backyard
1: well, we, we were saying before we when we were texting each other prior to actually recording this you, you said oh yeah good to go and i said i'm gonna to have to call you in about five minutes because i need to put some jeans on because i was basically naked in my kitchen and you came back and said you're sat in your birthday suit as well have you actually got any clothes on at the moment no i haven't <laughs> it's good job i'm glad it's not a zoom call have you
0: actually talking about zoom tours um one of my uh, one of my close friends was in the Zoom call, and someone had just woken up, got out of bed. Uh, don't know what they were doing in bed, but fiddling around with a computer, and thought uh, he wasn't on the Zoom call. Everyone could see. Him. <laughs> he just everything was out, and uh, it wasn't too pretty.
1: <laughs> nice.
0: It was a bit like you know when you're driving down the paddock, and there's a few stallions on on the left, and the, you know there's Sort of there's a bit of a rise and shine uh, awakening in the paddock. But you sort of try and kill your kids' heads. Yeah, very
1: similar to that. Wasn't prepared. If you had access to a time machine, where or when would you like to uh, drive that time machine to? Uh,
0: I'd like to go to America when the uh, the old Westerns were out. You fancy I'd yourself like as a bit of a cowboy. I've got a bit of a mouth sometimes, so uh, that would have tested me back there. Uh, <laughs> my pistol would have to be quicker
1: than my mouth, I would have thought. If you could live anywhere in the world where would you choose to live i'd
0: like to go to ireland have have you been there no i haven't been there the reason being is uh i don't think it would be see i haven't done my homework on this but uh i don't think it's as populated as uh england and I just thought, for some reason, I got the uh, island in
1: the back of my mind. Ireland or Canada? If you get the chance, uh, come over to the UK, have a trip around Scotland as well, and then go across to Ireland because that sounds like it would be a, a very pleasant couple of weeks for you.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd love to go over to the top of uh, Scotland. I've been to Edinburgh. Uh, I've been to Glasgow. I'd like to go and see a uh, Celtic Rangers game. Uh, would have liked to have gone and seen one 20 years ago too. So that would that would have been uh, one of the one of the highlights up there in Scotland. But going up to the uh, to the Highlands and uh, you know traveling past where William Wallace was, the old freedom. Yeah, that that would be a good tour. I've
1: got a lot of Irish
0: friends here too.
1: No, you'd enjoy that. You'd really enjoy that. Yeah. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would you change? Fidgety. More meditation Um, and less fidgety.
0: Yes, more meditation, less fidgety. Uh, Yeah, Uh, fidgety gets me in a little bit of trouble. What will you be doing
1: in 10 years' time?
0: I've got no idea now where the world is, but one thing's for sure, uh, with the changing world we've got to be adaptable and uh, I'll be changing with it so you know I look at sport I'd like to stay involved in cricket i like to stay involved in sport but uh, how prevalent is that going to be in 10 years time uh, I'm thinking of trying to uh, push into other things I've got a degree in accounting and marketing but um, yeah you just got to watch where, where things are going because if we're in another lockdown like this well cricket's going to be affected as well so I'd like to th- think that I was somewhere in the health space.
1: I said before, mm-hmm. I, I met you out in Abu Dhabi, doing some TV work out there, commentating, and you, you did a bit two-camera as well out there. I said to a friend the other day, I'm going to be speaking to you for the podcast, and they said, I really like listening to him when he's commentating. He's a really good commentator. Is that something you enjoy and you know, get your teeth into that? You know, get back sort of close to the game after, after not playing quite so much? Yeah, I, I, look, I, I really enjoy it. I, I really love it.
0: I want to be authentic, as I said all along, if I get ahead of myself, I want people to pull me back into line and um, you know stay true to myself because every now and then uh, we go up and down. I, I just love it, and I want to make sure I'm doing the, uh, doing the right thing by the game and the right thing by the players as well. And I'm, I'm a big believer is that if you can promote the game, if you can put it in a healthy light, do what you can for the game and be honest with it too. And That's the thing. It sort of coincides with the question you asked me before if I was in the ICC for a day. Let's not sugarcoat anything. If something's wrong, uh, we're honest with it. Don't cover it. We're honest with it, and this is a solution that we're looking forward to uh, to achieving moving forward. And that's the same with commentary. If you if you're going to uh, critique someone, you've got to try and put a solution there as well.
1: What, what impressed me about you when we were out in Abu Dhabi was you you came and you, you you'd done your homework. You'd got uh, your little uh, tablet, and got, you got know, you'd done a, a little bit of a write up for each of the sides out there. Some other people turn up for the kind of jobs like that, and they just rely on their. Their cricketing knowledge and, and see what's in front of them. Yeah, you know, it's those three P's, isn't it? Preparation, preparation, and preparation.
0: Yeah, it's quite funny. Um, yeah, no, th- you've got to prepare, and it's it's a bit like playing cricket. You know, I'd like to be prepared the day before, and when I go out and play, completely forget about what I've, what my preparation was, and just go out there and play the game, and just trust um, that your sort of your mental preparation the night before is in the back of the back of the head, and you're just going by instinct and that your subconscious is using that uh, that memory to uh, just adapt to that particular moment in the game. So uh, it's, it's the same with commentary. You've got to be thinking on your feet because if, you, if you're just looking at everything that you've just prepared, you might miss something out in the middle. So uh, all that preparation, 95% of it you probably don't even use when you go to the commentary box, but it might be useful in, in a couple of times. And I, one thing I do love and uh, I, I enjoy interviewing other people because it puts you in that uh moment where you know when you're doing an interview and, and sometimes it's hard to get uh some questions out of out of the uh, out of the person that you're interviewing so just keeping the conversation going uh that that's what I love about it the the, the hardness of it and the other thing is too sometimes when you're when you're doing something uh you don't know what's happening behind the scenes and the director goes uh, we've got to go for another five or ten minutes. And all of a sudden, you've got to keep that, going, that conversation going yeah. for another ten minutes. I love that pressure, those pressure situations of the, of, uh, the commentary side. So um, I've been put on the spot.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I've interviewed people live on, on radio and, and what have you and on, on, on TV on the edge of the pitch and things and the uh, have you ever had the moment where you kind of know what you're going to ask and then somebody's while, while somebody's giving you the answer inside your own head you're thinking what am I going to say next what's my next question and you're trying to get it out and, and usually you get to it and you find the question and you ask the question and nobody else ever knows that you were thinking that inside your head but I've, I've had a few panicky moments where I'm thinking what am I going to say next
0: yeah definitely definitely one thing I learned uh, so when I I was lucky enough to commentate in two thousand ten eleven, don't ever go back and look at that because I was terrible yeah. and I I hadn't had the experience and I I only got asked to do it uh, out of left field and I said oh look I'll come over if it's not going back to Australia they said it's not going back to Australia so I went and did it but uh, my first ever interview uh, was Trevor Bayless when he was coaching Sri Lanka uh, first day of the uh, second day of the first Test match start of the second day and thirty seconds before. I'm about to interview uh, Trevor. The director's come down and gone, or come through the earpiece and go, don't introduce him, just go to your first question, Brad. This is the first time you're doing an interview live. So, yeah, I'm just going, that's awkward. I can't just go to the first question without introducing Trevor Bayliss. I've got to say, I've got Trevor Bayliss here and uh, Trevor, you know, I've got got to do that. So I'd already prepared what I was going to do and all of a sudden that little comment put me on the back foot. So I went, I've got Trevor Bayliss, Trevor blah, 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 ask the first question. And I had a list of questions, but I'm sitting there going, right, I'm trying to listen to him. And then he's finished answering the questions. I said, oh, that's great, mate. And then realized I've got to ask another question. But because of that 30-second or just before I got on board, I was put out of my preparation uh, phase, and it was the first time I did it. I was a bit gun-shy. I got through it. It was a big lesson for me, big lesson, because sometimes you can be over-prepared. And if you're overprepared, you're not listening to um, to the answer. And sometimes in the answer that the person's providing, he's giving, he's just opened up a big news piece for you that uh, you can go on with. So yeah, you, you've got to be
1: prepared, but you've also got to be adaptable. It's like anything, isn't it? The, the more you do it, the better you get at it.
0: Oh, exactly right. And uh, like going through these questions, I had a quick read before I, you know, we, we did the interview. I, I don't like looking at them and then writing everything down because I'd, I'd rather it come out authentic than um, a written piece. So uh, I don't, I don't really like reading, but um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd rather go off the cuff and. I like to be prepared, but I like to be uh, going off the cuff because then it's coming out authentically.
1: Well, mate, you've been a great guest on this, uh, this edition of the podcast. We've got to question number 20. It's been good to talk to you again. The last question, though, some people find a little bit tougher. If you'd been picking these questions yourself, if Brad Hogg had been interviewing Brad Hogg, what would you have asked yourself to get a great and exclusive answer?
0: Uh, oh, gee whiz. I should have looked at this question before. <laughs> I,
1: uh, I guess, um, what, what made you tick? That's probably the
0: the thing. Because if, if if I look back at my career, I always felt I was the weak link in the Australian team. Uh, if you look at the grades that we had back then, I, I was always sort of in and out of teams. So it's more probably uh, what, what made you tick. And I just think it's never give up and try and be as resilient as you possibly can. And for me, be true to yourself. So uh,
1: that's the way that I could uh, sum that up. That's a really good answer. And it's a good off-the-cuff answer as well, considering you hadn't looked at that question. I think you did very well with that one, and you did very well with the rest of the uh, 20 questions. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Cricket Badger podcast, Brad Hogg. Good to talk to you again, mate, and uh, you stay safe over there.
0: Right, uh, James, no, you stay safe. Now, are you stopping the recording now so we can get back to the conversation we are having
1: beforehand? (laughs) (laughs) It's that Badger style. I hope you enjoyed that because I really enjoyed talking to Hoggy. He's an enthusiastic, cricket-loving beastie and I think good value on this edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast. Thanks as always to tvsportsblog.com for their support of the Cricket Badger Podcast. Give them a follow on Twitter, at tvsportsblog. And I said at the start of the podcast, plenty more terrific podcasts coming to your ears over the next few weeks. Thanks to you for your support of the show in recent weeks. It's really appreciated. Like, subscribe, leave a nice comment. That would be much appreciated too. And I hope I will see you next time when we bring you the next edition of the Cricket Badger podcast. Thanks, budges. Podcast Network.